0: life is full of ifs but if you want to cash flow like a pro and get paid up to two days early safeguard against surprises and supercharge your savings regions life banking makes it possible
1: regions bank embrace the if in life
0: regions bank member fdic broadcasting live from the subaru of gwinnett studio in the gas south convention center it's time for gwinnett business radio Gwinnett Business Radio is presented by Regions Bank member FDIC
1: Greetings and salutations, everybody. Thank you, Amanda, for bringing us in. It is your slightly annoying host, Stephen Julian. Welcome to another, hopefully, award-winning edition of Gwinnett Business Radio, coming to you live from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studios inside the Gas South District, the arena and convention center with me by my side. And and he and I are waiting to do the show inside the arena with thousands of, of, of audience members because he can attract them, is Harper LaBelle. When is that going to happen? You know, I think we need to work on that. I think you need to, like, you know, lay down the gauntlet and say, the great Harper LaBelle is asking for a crowd.
2: I don't know if that would work, but I will say this. There are hundreds of people here today. Yes. Traffic getting here with uh, uh, things taking place at the convention center, and as it is known for, uh, there are a lot of people that come in and out today, certainly one of those days as well, but uh, Gaslight, Gas South District is doing a fantastic job of hosting once again,
1: and we're glad to be here. And speaking of hosting, we are actually, the crowd really should be here to listen to our two guests. We uh, have with us this morning, Tina Johnson from the Northeast Georgia Health System and their emergency services, and also Brian Riggins from Magnolia Golf Group. Before we get to them, Harper, I believe you've got something to tell all of our listening audience. Well, we're
2: so grateful for everybody here at Gas South District, and we're brought to you by Subaru of Gwinnett. It's what What makes a Subaru a Subaru? What is it? It's love. They enjoy giving you the best experience you possibly can get. If you like big savings and hassle-free experiences, see, I work with Steven, so I'm used to hassle experience. But if you want a hassle-free experience, go visit Subaru of Gwinnett, where people sell cars. You can visit them online or in person at Gwinnett.com, or they're located at 2950 Satellite Boulevard in Duluth. You can join their family today. The 2024s are on the lot. You can come in and see the difference. If you're already a Subaruist, then you can check out their Facebook page for the latest news offers and community events. That's Subaru of Gwinnett.
1: I am going to try very hard not to hassle our guests. Speaking of our guests, the first one is Tina Johnson. She is here with the Northeast Georgia Health System Emergency Services, also known as NGHS Emergency Services. Tina, welcome to the studio.
3: Hey, how are you doing today?
1: Doing great. North uh, Northeast Georgia Health System and their emergency services. I think I have an idea of what... That's a very descriptive name. So go beyond the description of the name and tell us about the emergency services and what you guys do.
3: So the emergency services that we offer, of course, we have five emergency departments right now. We've just added the fifth one this summer, which was Habercham Medical. But we actually have these five um, emergency departments that see tons of patients. So when you look at their volume, um, right now we see in Gainesville approximately 8,000 patients a month. Brazelton sees about 5,000, Barrows about 2,000, and then Lumpkin is around 1,200 and Habersham's around 2,500. So there's a lot of volume that's coming through those doors. And we also have a lot of construction that's going on right now. So we are working to improve the um, area that we're taking care of these patients in as well as increase the bed space that we have so that we can efficiently take care of these patients.
1: So Northeast Georgia Medical Center, which has been around I believe since 1951, someone sent me something that said that uh they they how many total locations i mean you are obviously here to talk about the emergency services but kind of overall it, it really it it covers the whole northeastern part of the state so how many hospitals and locations yep. uh does nghs have
3: so we have um five hospitals and with those five hospitals that includes Habersham, lumpkin Brazzleton, barrow And Gainesville. So we're kind of spread out. And then we have the urgent cares that also cover that area as well as the physician's offices. So when you look at all of the different services that's offered through Northeast Georgia Health System, we do kind of um, maintain that northern portion of the state.
1: Hmm. And and you talked about the the fifth uh, emergency department, and you talked about construction. This is something that never stops, right? I mean, Ever. health health needs continue going on, and as the northeast part of Georgia continues to grow, both in in population size and also in age and things like that, uh, it, it is is there any end in sight, or is it just a never ending? <laughs>
3: Uh, quest to help people. I think it's a constant growth. I don't think there's an end to it because um, as you know our um, population continues to grow in Georgia and as it grows we expand more out towards the rural areas and so I think that this is going to be a constant thing.
1: (laughs) Now we I definitely want to continue to talk about uh, the emergency services but I want to talk I want to focus on Tina for just a second because uh, Harper was asking a couple questions pre-show and I'm going to jump on it and and uh, and and take the question myself. You've had a background in emergency services and and kind of a unique one. Kind of how did you get to where you are now working with the the medical system?
3: Okay. Well, I actually started as an emergency room nurse in 1992. Noah and I were tight, you know. But uh, so I've been around for a while. It's like 31 years of nursing now, 32 years. But As the emergency department was um, something that I truly enjoyed, I was recruited to become a flight nurse in Atlanta in 1999. And so I went into it, as I mentioned, with the theory of I'll try this for a year to make it look good on my resume. And then 20 years later, I um, (laughs) have finally kind of stepped back. I do some critical care ground transport, but I'm not flying right now. So
1: So you literally have been in the emergency rooms uh, as a nurse. You've also been on the ground and in the air. Uh, doing emergency care, so literally uh, all all over the place. What what separates a, a one emergency service department from another? What what makes uh, besides having great locations and being available? You know, w- what sets Northeast Georgia apart when it comes to their emergency service? What makes them different from maybe some of some of the other departments out there?
3: I think it's a combination of the volume of education and continued growth that we do for the staff, but also it's um, kind of a feeling of a family. So I do think that when you come into our emergency room, you're going to get the care that you would receive um, if you were a family member coming in. The the nurses, the physicians, all of the ancillary staff—they really look at these patients as being a um, integral part of what we do every day. So safety, of course, is always number one, but we want to make sure that we're providing excellent care for these patients as well as making sure that they feel like they're the the absolute focus for that group, for that team.
2: Tina, if you don't mind, just a little bit more on you. There's a certain person that can't see blood or look at stuff. They just shy away from it. That No, thank you. Um, You can't say that if you've been in the emergency room and especially on some of those flights. Was there anything that helped you get over the hump of seeing a really tragic situation, either the first time or any time in between to where you go, okay, I got this. I can take care of this. I, it doesn't matter what's going on all around. I have a person in front of me that needs my assistance.
3: Well, interestingly enough, one of the things. Um, so there was a research article that I had read years ago, and it talked about the fact that for you to become um, habitual or to to create a routine with yourself, that you needed to do something a couple hundred times for it to become routine to the point that you don't really have to think through it. And so you can think about tying your shoes, you can think about brushing your teeth, things like that. Riding
2: right a bike. What. Or, exactly. or putting an arm back together
3: you well, know, that's you been know, broken. It's, yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, right. The funny part about it is the Emergency Nurses Association actually offers a class. And I'm a faculty member, instructor for that class, but it's called uh, Transport Nurses um, course. And basically, or excuse me, Trauma Nurses course. But basically, this course gives a very systematic approach to how you take care of a patient as far as the assessment of it and then the care that you do. And so years ago, when I first took this course, I worked really hard to get that routine down pat because if you can make your assessment of the patient and then the interventions routine, then even when it's that really stressful situation like that geriatric patient that looks like your grandmother or that child that looks like your your child at home, the the stress of the situation. If you can become routine in how you approach it, it makes it so that you don't skip vital things that would endanger the patient.
0: Would
2: it be fair to say then, and I'm just speaking as a a non-medical staff, you have to take the emotion out of it, right? Um, And just say there's there's a checklist or at least my routine that I need to go through. And once I do that, then you, you really don't have time to be involved with the sounds, the sights, everything else that's a part of an emergency situation.
3: It's true. Um, It is a fine line that you have to walk because to some extent you still have to remember that this is a person. And so you have to have that empathy um, and that uh, care for that particular patient. But then you also, to some extent, will have to separate a little so that you don't become part of the emergency because of your emotions. So, yes, it's a fine line with that.
2: And helicopter, what was that like for you the first? You said a year. You told us off, off air that you were going to tell your mom <laughs> that it was only going to be a year. So we've already lied to mom about it being, what, close to 20 years. Well, at the years time she said.
1: said it, I don't think she was lying. That was the goal. Yeah, yeah, but, she reminds um, me frequently.
2: <laughs> yeah. She lied to mom. That's It's plain and simple. No, I'm, I'm teasing. But then, I mean, I'm sure mom said, hey, there's a lot of safer things on the ground that you could do.
3: That was her thought, yes. Yeah. <laughs> So she didn't really like it at all. So that's the reason why I offered up the year thing. Twenty years later. You did like it,
2: I guess, right? What type of thrill is that?
3: Uh, it's absolutely amazing. Um, and the amount of trust that you have from the community, because people will entrust that you're going to do the best you can for their family member. So it's very similar to emergency services in that you're working really hard to make sure that there's a good outcome for this person. The One of the uh, persons that I worked for that actually owned the second service that I worked for in the helicopter industry had a saying, and his saying was that we were in the business of family reunions. Mm. And so that was one of the things that I have touted over and over and over as I teach and, and go around the country talking to other clinicians to make sure that they understand that we're ultimately there for patients.
1: We're speaking with Tina Johnson. She is here with the Northeast Georgia Health System and specifically their emergency services. And and as cool as it is to talk about helicopter stories and, and, and by the way, you know, your mother saying, oh, I do something maybe a little less dangerous. I would imagine even ground transportation when it comes to emergency services can be quite hair raising at times and, and walking a fine line and doing all that. I guess I wanna turn the page to a kind of an accreditation that Northeast uh, Georgia Health Systems and the Emergency Services has about a crisis that maybe not be on the surface as exciting but is incredibly important in the opioid crisis. So the, the system got a PACE accreditation. Can you please unpack the acronym of PACE and let's get into the, the topic of, of this new crisis of, or this ongoing crisis of the opioid crisis.
3: Absolutely. As we know, the opioid crisis actually really got its footing, got its start back in the 1990s, and that was when um, there was a discussion about pain being the fifth vital sign, and that kind of went through a lot of the um, medical journals, and so the focus became towards making sure that patients did not experience pain. But we did a really good job at that in that um, pharmaceutical companies started creating more opioids and there were more opportunities out there. So there there was a lot of initiatives to make sure that we were handling pain. We have focused as a system and as a emergency services on an accreditation that we use specifically for the emergency department. That's called Pain and Addiction Care in the emergency department. And it is actually sponsored by ASEP, the emergency physicians group. And this is something that I'm very passionate about because what we've done is we've worked really hard to make sure that we are not making the addiction worse the the opioid uh, crisis worse but also to make sure that we are working with our partners in the community for people that have opioid use disorder that we can really work to get them the treatment that they need for this disease process so that we can improve their outcome and just make our community a lot healthier and safer I,
1: I would imagine as this work around this pace accreditation has been going Going on, and, and you used a phrase of of kind of walking a fine line, and and you know, it, it's this is not a black and white, left right, simple. Oh, you just gotta, you know, I mean, pain is an issue. Dealing with pain and 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 what an op- opioid can do, what a painkiller can do, is help in so many different ways. But yet, how far is too far? Every person is different. What what has been their path? So. This could be this is its own series of podcasts, I would imagine, that you could do and talk for hours and here we're trying to get you to to distill this down in sixty seconds. It, it, what has this accreditation brought that either was not there or was not being handled properly in in many circumstances or just kind of why why is this so necessary right now?
3: I think the biggest portion, to me, the biggest take-home with this is the volume of aftercare, the volume of support that we have to offer patients that already have an opioid use disorder. The other portion of it is that we are really cognizant of making sure we're assessing and treating pain appropriately in the emergency setting as well as making sure they have appropriate follow-up and then that we have good processes in place for our chronic pain patients.
1: And I would imagine um, <laughs> I, I would imagine this is one of the things about medicine is it's always evolving. Right, it's a and we were t- Harper. We, we were talking about the show Mash and and the helicopters we saw in that in that TV show back in Korea. So that you as being in uh, being in life flight for twenty years, you saw the advances. You even talked about oh, the first one I was in, and you were speaking Greek to me. I have no idea what you were talking about. But it, it, it's constantly evolving, constantly changing, and you guys have to constantly be willing to adjust. And I would imagine in this accreditation, maybe maybe no one is allowed to say it, but. Mistakes have been made in the past, right? And and you talked about making sure that you're not just checking boxes. There's a process to go through in emergency care, but you still got to look at that as a person. This is just one of those examples, right? And and so, um, what? How will this accreditation move forward? I'm not asking to predict the future, but what what can we hope will be some of the gains uh, for these kind of things? With emergency services and with care and aftercare and all that, you know, I guess the hope is I guess we're always trying to make everybody healthier and you're not trying to make another problem by solving this one emergency problem. Is that is that
3: a simple way to say it? it- That is one of the ways to say it. We are the first system in Georgia that actually has this accreditation. So we would love to see that other hospital systems become accredited, that we're able to kind of take the lead in making sure that this is something that is a focus in the state so that we can help uh, people that already have, like I said, opioid use disorder, but also to help prevent promoting more people that are now addicted to a drug that is, mm. is very addictive.
1: And if this is the first one in Georgia is there at least one in every state? Is, is, this, is this just kind of starting? How, how early in the stages are we in this?
3: Well, interestingly enough, this accreditation has been around for several years through ASAP, but Alabama has one hospital, I think, that is accredited, and then our system, and that is it in the southeast, is my understanding. So
1: Plenty of room to grow.
3: There are lots of opportunities here.
2: Tina, if you don't mind, is the opioid opioid issue, you know, drugs, heroin, really uh, dangerous uh, medications that people are are taking, is that the 800-pound gorilla in the room, and is it the only 800-pound gorilla? Are there other things that you're really concerned about?
3: Oh, there's tons of gorillas. I mean, yeah. the room's kind of packed. I don't is know it? if you see them. But, uh, um, but it is it is one of the things that there's a lot of stigmatism that goes around this disorder. There is a lot of um, personal thoughts that people have because they maybe have been affected by this. So when you look at it, we not only have the medical side of it to make sure we're offering the best care and the best options, but we also have, as I mentioned, the stigmatism that goes along with it. So we have to support support the emotional and mental side of those patients as well.
2: Yeah. Um, Tell us a little bit about, in terms of the business and how you're running it, uh, there's always needs for more nurses, aren't there, or uh, physicians of any kind. How how does that training process go for you, and how how do you get more people that are, let's say, in high school or in college that are thinking about this as a career? How do we get them involved?
3: Well, interestingly enough, I feel like we have a pretty robust program so that we um, offer options for high high school students to volunteer. We also have options for um, nursing uh, schools come in and do clinical practice, things like that. We also have recently started an emergency medicine residency for physicians uh, in northeast Georgia. And so that continues to grow. We are really, really working to make sure that we are growing uh, strong clinicians in all disciplines as we move forward because we're aware there's a national shortage of healthcare care providers. We, we get it, but um, what we would like to do is to continue to be one of the leading forces to help with our um, growth of new clinicians mm-hmm. into the industry.
2: Now we mentioned the young kids real quick. Are, are there is there an age limit on who you're looking for? I mean, could gray hairs like Stephen and I? Um, is it too late? Or
3: have you not seen my gray hair? Well, no, of it's
1: not I too late. can't <laughs> see it. I can't see, it. and I don't have gray hair. I have no hair, so that's a big difference. <laughs>
3: Or, or is, is it, it too, too late, late for Steven? <laughs>
1: well, well, clearly it's too late for me. But anyway, other people who could help? Because some folks, are, you know what? There is a need there. Yeah.
2: there and need. It, it may not be the highest paying job out there, but there are some financial rewards in certain areas that would be beneficial to some folks. are going, hey, this may be a great trade out. My experience and knowledge already is on the charts. It may not be doctorate level, but at least it's somewhere to where I know I could help out and I have the desire.
3: I can assure you that being a nurse has been probably the most wonderful career option I could have ever picked, Mm. I could have ever chosen. So if you have the opportunity, I would definitely.
1: And, Stephen, she gets to fly in the coolest of helicopters. I know, I know, I know. Very cool. Uh, Tina Johnson, and I made the mistake, your title and position, Process Improvement Coordinator with Emergency Services, with Northeast Georgia Health System, for those people who want to find out more information, which, I mean, hey, just give them one number. I'm sure there's there's many rabbit holes they can go down. Where would you tell them to start, especially when it comes to emergency services?
3: So I would go to NGHS.com, and there is a section for careers as well, in case you're interested. NGHS
1: in- is for what now?
3: Northeast Georgia Health System. Um, I want her to say it, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for I, that Northeast Georgia I'm sorry, Health I was, was
1: parroting what our listeners are going. Harper, I'm sorry, say it again, NGHS. <laughs> what does that stand for again? Northeast Georgia Health
3: System. Thank
1: you. <laughs> com.
3: Yes, so What's your website dot com would for? be NGHS.com. Now, is
2: there a place in there where you go, hey, there, th- more information if I'm looking for a career or if I want to be able to assist or help or volunteer or do some... Yes. So if you
3: go to this website, you'll be able to see a career option. It's labeled as careers. But you'll also see um, things like emergency services so that you can see more about the emergency department. It gives you the exact locations. You can see things about urgent cares. You can really see all of the services that's offered.
1: Awesome. You know, I think what needs to happen is Northeast Georgia Health System needs to have its own podcast to just, I mean, there are so many things to unpack.
3: They actually do. Oh, there you go. I don't have a lot of details about it, just but we search, do have podcasts yeah, that um, are done with our physicians and with other clinicians as well.
1: Well, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go listen to some of those podcasts, and I think Tina Johnson needs to be on another podcast uh, in another day. So, Tina, thank you so much for being here.
3: Oh, thank you. I appreciate you letting me come.
1: Absolutely. And uh, Gwinnett Business Radio here on Business Radio X. We'll be back
0: right after this. For the first time ever, the Atlanta Gladiators podcast will now be on Business Radio X. Be on the lookout for new interviews each week as Director of Broadcasting and Communications, Liam Godimer chats with Gladiator players, coaches, and even representatives from corporate partners. For tickets, partnerships, and more, visit atlantagladiators.com or call our front office at 770-497-5100 to chat with a Gladiator representative today. Atlanta Gladiators Hockey, draw
1: your sword. Welcome back to Gwinnett Business Radio here on Business Radio X. Coming to you, well, we are live, and if you're listening to this after the live broadcast, then we're on a podcast. From the Gas South District in the Arena and Convention Center Happy to welcome into the studio, Brian Riggins from Magnolia Golf Group. Brian, welcome to the studio.
0: Thank you. Appreciate you having me.
1: Absolutely. So, Magnolia Golf Group. Everybody goes, oh, golf. Oh, so you do a course. You do a. You guys do something very interesting. Tell everybody about what Magnolia Golf Group does.
0: Yeah. So we are we are a little different. Um, we work primarily with nonprofit groups and help them with uh, planning and producing their charity golf tournaments. Uh, We do some corporate events as well, some celebrity events. Uh, But most of our business is related to, you know, inspiring our clients to produce extraordinary golf tournaments that exceed their fundraising goals. So ultimately, they can change people's lives.
1: A lot of times when people start a business, they start a business because they see a need. I'm thinking there was a need when it came to especially nonprofit golf tournaments. So tell us, uh, how did Magnolia start?
0: So yeah, there definitely was a need, and and it started way back in 1999. I was the general manager of a few different golf properties here in the Atlanta area. Saw a lot of golf tournaments come through our properties, and amazing people, amazing missions, but. Their golf tournaments were a mess. But, okay. yeah, I, I um, was waiting for that.
2: Yeah. And that. And you must have seen a vision, or at least that I know I can do a better well,
0: job. Well, what was happening was, you know, as a general manager of the golf course, people were walking away with kind of a bad impression, and it was the impression was my golf course. And so I went to a few of the, the larger tournaments that we had, and I said, hey, let me come to one of your meetings. Let, let me teach you what you need. To put on a, a great day at the golf course, and um, that helped. And the aha moment was after one of the courses, we were hanging out, you know, behind the clubhouse, and some guy came up to me, and he's like, "Hey, you know, your suggestions really helped us not only with the experience, but we we exceeded, you know, what we thought we were going to do fundraising wise. And you should start a business." <laughs> I was like, you know, that's a good idea, and so I, I just got my first email, I think, and in '99, and just learning how to play on Google, and and it started from there. So, so, how
1: I know you're not going to give away the complete secret sauce, but what are some of the key things that Magnolia Golf Group and, and what you bring to the table can help? someone who's who's planning their golf tournament. What give us give us some tips. Give yeah, us some ideas.
0: So so the timing's good here with, with Tina in the room with, with Northeast Georgia because they're actually one of our clients. Um they fantastic they put together two two big golf tournaments here in Atlanta and we help them out. Uh so primarily what we do is focus on four things with a charity golf tournament. Um the signage, uh the player gifting. Um we have uh, big leader boards and that's where I met Harper uh, about a month ago at the 680 the Fan Charity Golf Tournament, um, and then full event management. So we sit down um, with groups. We we learn about kind of what their pain points are, what they need help with, and we just kind of fit the need, uh, whether that's maybe a few signs that, that could be done a little bit better all the way up to full event management.
2: I've had the opportunity to play in several charity events over the years, and when I met with you, one of the things that I notice is your job, and I don't mean to say this in a bad way, but from a professional perspective, your job is to make sure everybody has a good time. And you mentioned that a little bit earlier, Because right? if they do, my job as you know a, a guest on the course, uh, a celebrity, if you will, that I play with the force, my job is to make sure they have a good time as well. I just want them to enjoy their experience. If I tell a few stories, whatever. But your job is to make it look as professional as it can in an environment that really... Do, it, you get away from professionalism on a golf course. So if you see your company name, I've I've been with different companies that have played, and their sign is on hole 12, let's say, and they want to take a picture of it. And and if it doesn't look very good, I've seen them. Ah, no, I don't want to do this. But it, the, the scoreboard and everything else that you do. So talk a little bit more about like that for sp- specifics because that – you know, I don't know what the size of the board is, but it it doesn't get much bigger than that unless you want to go to Truist Park or right. you know to uh, Mercedes-Benz. You don't have a halo board on the way, do you? <laughs> no, no, no Not halo board. Okay. No
0: halo board. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of what sets us apart is what we try to do is create that PGA Tour level experience at a local charity golf tournament. And you're exactly right. Uh, you know, a lot of groups work really hard on the fundraising side. Uh, they work really hard with relationships that they have. They sell that sponsorship, they get to the event, the sponsor's there, and their logo's not the right color, or it's real pixelated, and it just puts a bad taste in their mouth. We tell people all the time, regarding signage, we don't care how many people see the sponsor's sign. What we care about is how many times the sponsor sees their own sign, Mm. and is it done perfectly? Are there clean lines? Is it hanging correctly? because the more time the sponsor sees their own logo, the more warm and fuzzy they get, okay? And they walk away and they say, this was great. I saw my logo multiple times. So we've got a lot of strategies, not only on on printing and and making sure it looks good, but how to maximize that signage.
2: And another thing about the sponsors, for example, whatever the business is, if if they see it better with you than at the other place that they may want to provide a, a charitable contribution to... I think that puts you in a position of responsibility. Yes, I did a better job because I knew I needed to. And I want to serve the customer as well, the client. I want to, I want to make sure that the, not only have a great time, but the, the desire is I couldn't do it any better than the way I've done it right now. And that, that's what I saw when, when I first met you. I go, you're, you're, you're kicking it. it. You're doing a great <laughs> job of it.
0: Yeah, thank you. Thank you.
1: I was waiting for the question.
2: Well, I, <laughs> instead, it was a
0: testimonial. We'll take it. That's we'll take okay. It. Yeah. That was so, great. so, uh,
1: so my gimmick as a as a podcast host, is I always say, I'm slightly annoying, which is probably why I've never been invited to uh, be a celebrity in a golf <laughs> tournament. That, and I also suck at golf. But anyway, those two <laughs> things aside. That, other like than an, that, how you, know, did you like to play? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I I was thinking this, and so I'm going to say something that might come across as slightly annoying. When someone is, especially a nonprofit, is doing a golf tournament. They are What you have just explained to me in my normal day job, I always think about return on investment. People are always thinking about return on investment. If a company is coming in, is is put in money to play in a charity golf tournament, their return on investment as a sponsor, they want to see their name. They want to see it put up well. They want to. It's not. Yes, it's warm fuzzies, but it's also. Yeah, we did do this to get a return on our investment Mm -hmm. over and above a good experience on the course of playing the course. And I think people forget that people don't even you, you have clearly brought that out. So let me pivot to gifting because I have a feeling here's another opportunity for return on investment rather than, and it's all about standing out. It's all about doing something over and above for for what they're giving to the cause, right? So talk a little bit about how you guys set yourself apart in gifting.
0: Yeah, so that that's a great great segue cuz I think a lot of tournaments fall short on this as well. So this sounds bad, but a lot of people kind of gauge how their day went at a charity golf tournament by what they're walking away with.
1: That doesn't sound uh, no, uh, cuz again, I'm return sorry. on investment, right. right? And
0: so we try to stay away from the bags of what we call trinkets and trash. Um, you know, I don't need another neoprene koozie in my kitchen drawer. I've what got about a little click pen, yeah. a
1: little a cheap or golf know, fees, pen. things yeah. like that?
0: Yeah. So, what we try to do—it's actually an amazing sponsorship opportunity for any charity golf tournament out there. We create, we've created a player gift sponsor. So, not only can you get your player gifts paid for. But it's an amazing way for the sponsor to get immediate recognition and do one nice gift, maximum maybe two, but within the tournament budget that can co-brand, that not only gets the sponsor's name out there, but extends the brand of the organization. So we don't like to do golf balls. So Logo Golf Balls. Where are Logo Golf Balls going in a charity golf tournament? In the lake. In the lake. Or the woods. So what is that doing for your brand? Nothing. Um, so we, we like to do what we call lifestyle gifts, things that are not so golf related, but are things that people are going to take home, use, take to the pool. And we've associated ourselves with some amazing brands, Yeti, Columbia, Nike, Under Armour. And, and we try to get our clients to really think hard about what are people going to use and not throw away. And so,
2: and can you put the logo or something about your company on that? Right, The Yeti, yeah, mm-hmm. a, a cup of coffee or some water. Yep. I would think also, because when you scan through in the scoreboard, there is a list of, let's say, the group of contractors or the guys that were there to repair your home or whatever. It doesn't matter. But there's the names of all the... I'm sure as you scroll through that to get to the company that's coming up next... I know I might be able to look at, oh, wait a second, there's a guy that has uh, a a plumbing business, let's say, and my neighbor needs a plumber, so in some respects, you're trying to get guys to exchange business cards. It may not be that I'm going to do direct business with you, but I may know somebody that could use your services or something like that. Now, that's not specifically what you're doing, but I think that would be a great result. And again, return on investment. I, collect, I passed out 20 business cards would be a great way, especially when you're talking to other businesses, to get your name out in what you're trying to do. Is that one of the goals that you're trying to get? experience there uh, every time you get somebody to play?
0: Yeah. I mean, golf is, in my opinion, the best networking relationship building event you can do. I mean, you can take somebody to a ball game, lunch, whatever event, but there's no other activity that you can spend four and a half to five hours shoulder to shoulder with somebody to establish that relationship. You're not going to sign a contract on a golf course or an agreement, but by the time you play around the golf with somebody, you should know that person and be you able to get a meeting to, scheduled or a phone exactly, call and a follow up. Be sure. able to develop that relationship, create that rapport that leads into business. It's, it's probably one of the best activities you could do.
2: Now, what besides just the golf events? Because when I saw the truck and there were yeah. other different services that you have, you've expanded.
0: Yeah. So um, outside of golf, we, we, we really have, you know, three silos of The Magnolia Group. We have our golf. Wait a second! You have a silo. You have a whole silo. Steven, I
2: didn't know that we were farming here today. And that we got (laughs) different
1: bit. No,
0: they
2: are they are full of opportunities. Good for you, Brian. I
1: appreciate the business term of
0: silos. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. It's awesome. Um, So, with our LED screens, which are the leaderboards, same technology at Truist Park, the Halo screen at Mercedes. Um, Ours are mobile; they're on trailers, so we can set those up. And what we call Magnolia displays is we do all different types of outdoor events where we can bring that jumbotron, so to speak, to the event. So we work with a lot of cities around the metro Atlanta area with their movie nights. Right now, the most popular thing we're doing is weekend watch parties for college football games. And we go literally all over the country with our screens. Um, I think the coolest event we've ever done outdoor is up in Greenville, South Carolina, for curing kids' cancer. They had a fire truck contest poll. So, a team of 10 people see how fast you can pull a fire truck 40 yards. And we had our big screen there uh, doing the leaderboard, sponsor logos, live streaming. So, it's a cool event. Concerts, festivals, any, anything outdoors with a crowd of people and sponsors yeah. were a good good opportunity. Because it's
1: more than just a screen. You have the ability to do, again,
0: leaderboards and sponsors and things like that. Yeah, is a do-
2: homeowners association that wants to do a movie in the cul-de-sac for everyone yep. in the neighborhood, is that too small?
0: No, not at all. We we do a lot of big neighborhoods, um, HOAs. Um we've done just gotta be it, able to if, pay the bill if, if you got a big budget we'll do yeah, your kids exactly. birthday party
2: now what kind of do you have infinity speakers what kind of sound do we have is it dolby you know do I get that near on the t th- whatever the thx <laughs> or the beginning of the movie do you still get the? yeah we well, yeah, have i mean it's,
0: it's turnkey so you know like if you had a group of people your company or neighborhood um you know if you wanted to have a fundraising event and wanted to do a Georgia Live, you know, watch, uh, watch party for a college football game. We bring the speakers, the satellite, the streaming, it's all this turnkey.
1: So the screen is one silo. It, mm-hmm. it, you, you, you talked about a couple of silos. Yep.
0: So we've got golf, Magnolia displays, and then what we call Magnolia Outfitters, is okay. kind of what we talked about before. With all the relationships that we have with our, our vendors, um, we do a lot of logoed merchandise, apparel for companies, but we've kind of carved a, a unique niche out of it. So with Magnolia Outfitters, kind of our tagline is from the office to the outdoors. Mm-hmm. So very similar to what we were talking about, if we've got a company that wants to extend their brand on either some type of promotional item, we really sit down and talk with them of what is the item going to be used. So we try to partner with brands where, yes, they'll take that Yeti cup into the office every day with their coffee in it, but they might be putting some bourbon in it. At the lake on the weekend, okay, and you're Allegedly. carrying that company Allegedly. logo with you everywhere you go. So some of the brands that we do, like Columbia, so a PFG fishing shirt, so instead of putting your company logo on a golf shirt, you're putting it on a shirt they're going to wear at the beach. So that's the the outfitter side where we try to get unique brands to put company logos on.
1: I think the takeaway from this is if, if anyone is involved at in any nonprofit that they are trying to maybe help with their fundraising efforts, I, I think one of the questions people might think is, well, clearly with all the stuff they're talking about, this giant LED screen and all, that's way out of my league. I would imagine any nonprofit at any level can benefit from partnering with you on some kind of level.
0: Absolutely. I yeah. mean we work with the big boys American Cancer Society yeah. American Heart Association all the way down to the local nonprofits and we just fit the need yeah. and i know it sounds like a sales term but but it is exactly what we do we we sit down we find out what they need help with we fit in we love to establish relationships cuz a great thing about our thing about our business is we work with annual events yeah. annual groups that put on annual events we want to help them with the starting point and be with them for the next 10 years where they're raising real money.
2: And, and I'm sure the accounting would be uh, an interesting perspective. In most charitable contribution type of atmospheres, is, well, we can't spend any money. We just want to make a dollar. You might be saying, if you spend a dollar, you might make four.
0: Yeah, I right? have that conversation daily with a lot of <laughs> charities and nonprofits because the first thing they look at is, how much does this cost? I'm like, don't. So I start a lot of meetings like this. I'm like, look, I know two things about you, Mr. <laughs> Nonprofit. Number one, you don't have any money. Number two, you don't want to spend any money. But I'm about to sell you something, so get ready. And if we can get that off the table and really show them the opportunities, um, that if you do do a little investing, especially with things like we talked about before, you know, putting logos in there correctly, making sure things are presented professionally the returns happen almost immediately.
1: If if you're a nonprofit and you want to do something uh, to to raise money and not spend any money, then <laughs> that's why they have yard sales and bake sales yeah. and things where you can literally run a something that doesn't cost anything. Right. That's one level of 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 doing a, a fundraiser. But if you are doing a fundraiser at a golf course. Why not stand out and be different from all the other fundraisers that are run there? So for those people who are involved uh, with nonprofits and, uh, and want to get to know you better, how do they get in touch with Magnolia Golf Group?
0: So the easiest way would be the website, magnoliagolfgroup.com. And um, we've got everything there, all our different silos that are full of opportunity that people can uh, check out.
1: And the name Magnolia, obviously it's a Southern thing. Is there a story behind that It's
0: a Southern thing. There is. Um, I grew up here in Atlanta Mm -hmm. and grew up on a pretty big lot that was full of Magnolia trees. They're great climbing trees. Yes, they are. And the little pods, as a kid, are great to have wars with. So they're like um, hand grenades. You, yeah, but yeah, they, but they, really they don't explode yeah. unless they, they you don't. hit your buddy in the now, head. Yeah, they hurt when they. Yes, you they get a good, yeah. good hit. Yes, but, they do. Um, yeah. And then you know, pine cones
1: and magnolia pods. Yeah, yeah. Those yeah. are the two weapons of choice.
2: Yeah, right? yeah.
0: And uh, obviously, magnolia allegedly. lane allegedly
2: because yeah. we never did that as we I <laughs> I were. I did. Don't do that. Well, they take Bugs Bunny off because Bugs would hit. He'd shoot Daffy in the in the face, and you can't do that anymore. No, you
1: can you can watch. That's a great cartoon. I'm sorry you we interrupted your magnolia story. No, no, no. The violence keep keep going. Tell <laughs> us more about you know.
2: Um, little, well, little, did you did you take a magnifying glass to the amp It was, <laughs> hill, it was, was easy ants? to
1: climb and it's beautiful to look at. Just like doing a, a tournament uh, with the Magnolia Golf Group, right?
0: That's right. Yeah. That's exactly right.
1: Yeah, I like that. Brian Riggins from Magnolia Golf Group. Thank you so much for being
0: here. Thank you. Yeah
1: do want to remind everybody that Gwinnett Business Radio is brought to you by Regions Bank. Regions Bank is here to help your business's financial future stay on track. Regions Commercial Banking has a team of experienced bankers in Gwinnett who can guide you in all areas of growth. Get the resources you need so every step can make you, excuse me, move you closer, not make you. They move you closer to your business goals. I'm sorry, Regions. To learn more, visit Regions.com forward slash commercial dash banking. Regions Bank. Member FDIC. Oh. And they won't make a mistake the way I made a mistake and the way Dan made a mistake by having the bell drop. Oops. There you go. There you go.
2: What does FDIC stand for? Because I asked Tina what, you know, the Federal H- Deposit
1: Insurance. Yeah. Wait. I don't think it's a corporation. Federal Deposit Insurance Commission. I'll have to go look that up, FDIC. We
2: need need research. We need a crack staff here to uh, put everything together. Good
1: show today. Great show today, and it was, our great it was today. definitely yeah. because of our guests, and it was also because of you, Harper. You know no. who else it was because of? Because of you. Well, and also our producer, Dan, yep, who mixed up the beginning, so it was nice to hear Amanda at the beginning. I hope in a future show we get to hear Dan's voice doing no, our No, you intro. didn't
2: say a man at the Amanda. Amanda. We hear Amanda, Amanda at yes. the beginning, yes.
1: not, a, not a man. Yes. All right. That's Very good. good. <laughs> so I had a good show till the end with Harper. All right. So for uh, for our guest, Tina Johnson with NGHS Emergency Services and Brian Riggins with Magnolia Golf Group, and for my co-host, Harper, and for the producer, Dan, and for Mike, who's cowering in the corner somewhere, begging us to get off the air because I always take this too long, this is your Slightly Annoying Host, Stephen Julian, saying we will catch you next time on Gwinnett Business Radio.